Sunday, of course, is Christmas Sunday. Actually, on Christmas Day, we'll fall on a Sunday, and we are going to have service at the normal time. Uh, things will be just like they are normally. We will try to keep that to an hour. We know that you have lots of traditions, but hey, I know that uh, you know some of us come on, you know, do Christmas on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. Uh, but let's make sure that we make Jesus a part of our Christmas this year and uh, come to service next week, and we're going to celebrate together. I've really enjoyed this uh, series that we've been calling Make Room. Um, and we've, we talked about making room for the manger, and we talked about the two Christmases, sort of the secular celebration of Christmas that we do, as well as the spiritual celebration of Christmas that we do. Uh, we did that. And then last week it was make room for the miraculous. And we talked about how Christmas is a time of miracles. And we were reminded, you know, when, when the angel came and spoke to, to Joseph, what a change there was. Uh, from the ordinary time, things went from ordinary time to extraordinary time. But today, it, it, it's almost the opposite of, uh, we, we were burning incense last week and, uh, the, the smell that represented the prayers of God's people that, that went up. Uh, but today, if I had incense to burn, it would be a little bit opposite. It would be the smell of the barnyard. Because that's also a part of Christmas as well, isn't it? Before I, before I dive in, I do want to say uh, happy birthday to Judy Bagwell. This just happens to be her birthday. And I also want to thank God uh, that Mike Randolph had a successful surgery this week, and he's feeling much better, and we're so glad for that. And good to see that. I also heard that today... Uh, December 18th is the celebration anniversary of the 13th Amendment, the abolishment of slavery. And I think that's something to celebrate today. Did you know that happened right before Christmas, December 18th? So that's pretty cool. Also, keep Judy in your prayers and her family. She had a nephew last night that was killed uh, in a car wreck on his way to work. And so uh, at this time, you know, when a lot of people are celebrating and things are you know, happy, what a tragedy for this family at this time. So let's just go to the Lord right now and ask him to be with us as we go into his word this morning and talk about the Christmas story once again. Heavenly Father, we just uh, ask, Lord, that you would be with us this morning. We thank you for your presence that's here in this place. We pray, Lord God, for all of those that are suffering at this time of year, for this family uh, in Judy Bagwell's family, this nephew that's been killed and uh, the family members that are going to be grieving this Christmas season. We just pray for them right now, Father. We know, Lord, even in the Smoky Mountains, there's a lot of people, Lord, who are without homes and some that are uh, just going through the loss of loved ones recently, God, uh, that it's going to be a difficult Christmas for them. So we ask that you'd be with them this morning. And I pray, Lord, that the Christmas story would be told in such a fresh way today that we would never forget it, Lord, that, uh, that it would bring hope, Lord, to whatever situation we're in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 2 is traditionally where we go to read the Christmas story, and I'm going to go there again. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, and it sh it'll show up on the screen here. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
and all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Aren't you glad that the gospel is good news? I bring you good news that will, be, uh, that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the, high, in the highest heaven, and peace on earth uh, to those with whom God is When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart, and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, and it was just as the angel had told them. The title of the series is, is No Room. And, and we learn in this story that in all of the legitimate places to welcome Jesus, there was no vacancy. Are you familiar with that term, no vacancy? No vacancy? If you're my age or older, there was a different way that we used to find out whether a hotel had room or not. And that was by a lighted sign outside that either said vacancy or no vacancy. How many, how many remember that? You know what I'm talking about. You see, it's hard for you, some of you young people to believe, but uh, when I was a kid, you couldn't pick up your cell phone and call to the nearest hotel to find out whether there was any room. There were no cell phones. Uh, we couldn't Google it. We didn't have internet on our phones, so we could Google hotwire.com or Priceline or find out whether there was any availability at any hotels. No, there was just these signs that said, if you would get to a telephone, you'd have to go to a payphone, and you'd have a big book like this that you'd have to look up these hotels. It was very awkward and cumbersome. So you wouldn't do that. So these hotels would put signs up that either said vacancy or no vacancy. And I first learning that word and what that word meant, vacancy. Vacant, we all know if something is vacant, it means it's empty. But it doesn't just mean that it's empty, it also means that it's 
available. Because it's possible to be empty without being available. So I've actually come to learn, you know, I, I work in the vacation industry. I've come to learn that sometimes there are actually rooms in the hotel that are empty, but they're not available, at least not to you. We, we have tiers of availability, and so, so the $50 rooms will go first. But it seems like if you want to pay $500, they can always find a room for you, can't they? Because there are rooms that are empty, but they're not necessarily available. And so as Mary and Joseph find these no-vacancy signs, I'm wondering, had they pulled up in a chariot, a fancy chariot, if suddenly those hotels would have had room for them? So sometimes vacancy doesn't mean that there's no room. It means that there's no room for you. No room for you. So in our industry, we have resorts, and sometimes when I go to book my resort, it'll say it's full. But I'll get on some website, and I'll see that they're selling rooms to the very resort that they're claiming to be full. And what they're saying is that those rooms are not available to me. If we're careful as churches, we can subtly put out a no-vacancy sign. We have signs that say, everyone welcome. But the question is, really? Is everyone really welcome? Would we welcome people like Mary and Joseph, who were refugees that came to be among them that day? Would we welcome people that looked different from us? Would we welcome people that were a different color from us? Would we welcome people... And no vacancy means there's no room for you. I don't know about you, church, but I want to be the kind of church that says no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've passed, no matter what color you are, there's room. Amen. Vacancy. So in all of the legitimate places... It was no vac- I came across this picture. Can you read the fine print on the picture? I kind of like this. It said the Bethlehem in no vacancy. And in the small print it says shepherd's entrance. That, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a good one on the, on the uh, anniversary of the abolishment of slavery, isn't it? Shepherds use rear entrance. Or it says camel parking uh, behind the inn. Open-toed shoes are not allowed by the order of Caesar Augustus. Those are subtle ways of saying this, this place is available, but it may not be available for everybody. The, the second point, if you're taking notes in your worship guide, is that the messy manger was God's perfect choice as the cradle for his son. The messy manger. It, it almost seems, when you read the story, the story's a bit absurd because it's like, it almost seems like, did God, did you fail to plan some of the details for the birth of your own son? 
I mean, it's like God said, oh my goodness, I, I, I got all the details except I forgot the place for him to be born. He should have been born in the fanciest, nicest hospital in Jerusalem. No. God didn't forget where, where Jesus should be born. In, in fact, it was planned from the foundation of the, that the perfect place for Jesus to be born was in this messy manger. He chose for his son to be put up in a barn. I think a lot of times we give the innkeeper a hard time, don't we? The innkeeper who said, there's no room in the inn. This wasn't an innkeeper that was kind of grumpy that night or, or whatever. This was God's plan. That, 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 that Jesus would come to be born in a messy manger. I chose this picture because I love the beauty. It looks to me like a Christmas postcard that you might send. You got Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Angels that are coming. You've got shepherds with perfect little shepherd hooks. You've got the wise men symmetrically coming with palm trees on the left hand side. Coming from the east to go see the manger. And, and I just want to say, and, and, and I want to challenge your thinking this morning, that there's something wrong with our Christians. Because you can make the barn look pretty, but when it all comes down to it, it's still a barn. I'm told that in Kentucky, some of these thoroughbred horses have barns that are nice, as nice as houses. That there are chandeliers and wood floors in these barns for these horses. And you can put a chandelier in a barn. You can make it look pretty on your Christmas postcard. Oh, I don't know if you can, can you guys handle the truth this morning? Can you handle the truth? There's something missing from the Christmas story that we've never talked about ever before, and that is this. The barn was a mess. If you have a gag reflex, I would just encourage you not to look at the screens right now. But the truth of Christmas that we have to be honest about this morning is that Jesus was born into a mess and the make room message this morning is we've got to make room for some mess. So, Robert and Brittany, I think they're here today, right? They're, they're, they're going to be anyway. They're making their arrival with their newborn son, Ezra. Ezra was born a couple weeks ago. Angels were singing when he was born. It was a gorgeous, perfect, sterile environment at the hospital. Little Ezra, I saw him. Wasn't he lovely? Beautiful pictures were taken. You could hear the harps in your mind playing in the background. 
And then there was a moment when, when uh, Brittany was to feed her child that we were asked to leave the room. And then when I came back into the room, uh, Robert's face, I, I would say it turned white, but it didn't turn white. It turned more like ashen gray. He had just seen his little Ezra do something that that beautiful child could never imagine coming from. He had changed his first diaper. And he didn't have one. He had like four in a row. It was, it, and, I, and, and Robert just had this look on his face like, We've waited nine months for this? It was a mess. It was a mess. When my daughter Natalie was born, Natalie was her name means Christmas child. Natalie means Christmas child. Even though she was born in July, we found out around Christmas time, and so we put ornaments on our parents' tree that you know had the had the announcement that that we were going to have a child, and so. So Natalie, who means Christmas, she was just a, Natalie is was and is and ever will be perfect in my mind until even the diapers were okay. The diapers were okay. Thank God for Pampers and diaper wipes. But we were on our one of our first outings. It was a week or two into. Um, into parenting. We were on one of our first outings and we were doing something, don't judge me, we were doing something parents shouldn't do. We were on a back road and we were driving very slow and Melanie was changing Natalie's diaper in the car while I was driving. Okay, I'm sorry. So she's changing Natalie's diaper. Natalie's legs are facing me while I'm driving. And when Melanie lifted up Natalie's legs, with hurricane force wind... Natalie projectile diarrhea all the way over to me onto my shirt and sweater while I was driving. While I was driving, Natalie did that to me. We cut our trip short. I, I was in shock. I couldn't even speak. We, we got to the, I threw my clothes away. I threw the clothes away. I, I had no use for those clothes. My child, who I love, disgusted me now at this point. It was... It was, it was terrible. It was terrible. And, and, and by the way, you're probably not going to hear this in any other church in Knoxville today. But we've got to tell the truth about Christmas, and that is that Christmas is not just beautiful, it's also messy. Because there was some Christmas cow pie in that manger. And Natalie had her own little Christmas cow pie. The barn was messy. And the first people that came, the first people that came to welcome Jesus were shepherds. Shepherds were messy. Shepherds were considered unclean because of the kind of work that they did. They were religiously considered unclean. They smelled like sheep. And they were the ones that came to greet Jesus, the first ones that came were very messy. I made some friends in Illinois with some people from a church called the Cowboy Church. 
the cowboy church met in a barn. And they were a bunch of cowboys. A lot of people in that church would not have fit in to a regular church, but we made, we made good friends with the pastor of the cowboy church, and, and so we would go over to their service on Thursday night in the barn, and it was awesome to see these guys worshiping the Lord. So we decided to have a cowboy Sunday at our church. Cowboy Sunday. I did the best I could. I wore a flannel shirt, blue jeans, tried to look like a cowboy. I wore a hat. I was a rhinestone cowboy. And uh, the pastor of the cowboy church and I had become friends, and we were sitting there during the service, and it was wonderful. And these cowboys were worshiping the ch- with us, that we, we were trying to be cowboys. And the pastor looked over me and he, and he pointed out to a, a skinny guy on the front row. He had his hands in his hair and he said, Pastor, he, he said it more like this, Pastor, guy up there. I said, yeah, I see him. The guy with the hands in the air kind of looked like a mixture between a biker and a cowboy. Yeah, that's him. And, uh, he killed a man. He killed a man. For those of you who don't know, kilt is cowboy, past tense for killed. He told me the story about how he had been in a fight and in the fight accidentally had killed a guy and gone to prison for a long time. But while he was in prison, he'd had a, he'd had a conversion experience and God had gotten a hold of his heart. But when he got out of prison, he just didn't feel like he could fit in any church. And so he landed at the cowboy church and his name was Bones. And Bones was the biggest worshiper in the church. You know why he was the biggest worshiper? The Bible tells us those who have been forgiven much love much. The more you become aware of your forgiveness and the more you can become aware of what God's done for you, the more aware of how good God is. I just want to say to you this morning, all of you who are listening this morning, Maybe you don't feel like you fit anywhere. And, we, and I just want to say, as, as the pastor of Life Church this morning, we designed this church to be for people who felt like they had no other place to go. We want to be a church for the unchurched. We want to be a church for the overchurched. We want to be a church for those who've been hurt by the church. We want to be a church for those who feel like they don't fit in anywhere else. We want to be a church for people who come with their messes. They come with their messes. We're making room for the mess. Proverbs 14 uh, verse 4 says this, Without oxen, a stable is clean. Think about it. Without oxen, you can have a nice barn if you just don't have your animals in it. Without oxen, the stable is clean. And then I love the rest of the proverb. It says this, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. But you need a strong ox for a large, for a large harvest. In other words... That barn has got to be filled with some people that are going to be able to do the work of the Lord, that are going to be able to carry out of His mission, but they may not look the prettiest, best, and all of that, but they're capable of producing a great harvest, and so 
Church is messy. People are messy. Come on now. Don't lie to me. Your family's not all courier knives. You got in-laws and outlaws in your family. Sometimes you need a guy like Paul in your, in your church who used to be Saul because he killed a man. Bible says about Saul that he used to be the one that was going around persecuting and having Christians put to death. Saul was so controversial to have in the church in the very beginning that no churches wanted to have him, and the Holy Spirit had to actually speak to a guy to say, go ahead and, and, and invite this guy into your church. I promise he won't kill you. He's okay. He's been converted. And, of course, he wrote much of the New Testament. Messy. So, so the Christmas story needs shepherds. When I was growing up, we always had shepherds come to our Christmas gathering. Shepherds in our family were non-biological family members who maybe had nowhere else to go, but they would come, they would come to our house for Christmas. I remember Matt and Mark Larson who would always come. Matt and Mark could always spread, they could spread their toes out wide. I don't know how they did it. They would <laughs> lay on the floor and they would spread their toes out wide. It was the coolest thing for me when I was a kid when Matt and Mark would come over and watch their toes. But... They didn't have family uh, in there. We brought in a guy named Bert Hogus. Bert was the town drunk. He lived under a bridge, literally. And my dad found this guy and offered Bert a job to become our gardener. And got him off alcohol. And he lived in our house for a while. And Bert, Bert became our family member. And he, he made a beautiful garden. He had served in the war. And some things that happened to him that he couldn't talk about and kind of messed him up. But it, it, it made him, it made him, and Bert did great till one time when we left on vacation and Bert disappeared and went back under a bridge years later as, a, as an alcoholic. But I remember those messy, those messy Christmases this year. By the way, church. You have a pastor who does not have any biological family that lives in this area. You're all I got. My wife's family's not here. My family's not here. This Thanksgiving, we had nowhere to go. So we just invited, we just had a shepherd's party at our house. We just invited a lot of people over to the house who didn't have family in the area and whatever. We just had a, had a great time. And so what I want to say about that is we like to think of the shepherds as those other people, but the truth of the matter is, in some way or another, we're all shepherds that have been invited to this manger scene. We're all the shepherds. We, we are not biological members of Jesus' family. We got in by some other route. He invited us in. It's a messy story, isn't it? It's a messy story. We, we were praying before church about some of the Christmas gatherings that were among some of our own band members. Pray for us. 
go home this Christmas. It's going to be a bit of a it's going to be a bit of a mess. Hmm. And, and, and the scripture said that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, and, and, and I'm weird, folks, I'm weird. You're just going to have to bear with me, but. I saw this word. This is not the original Greek of the word and all this. This is just my weird mind playing with the text. I read the word differently this time. The Messiah. The Messiah. The Messiah, it said. They were terrible. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. The Savior, yes, the Messiah... The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And I want to say to all of us today, have no fear. The Messiah is here. That God chose to come down in the middle of our mess. He came to to Bethlehem. Don't worry about those that are leaving. They're going to be part of the nativity scene. He came down to be a part of our messes and to bring hope in the middle of our mess. Because I thought it was a very telling scripture when it said uh, this, that the shepherds, after they praised God and all that, they returned to their flocks. They returned to their flocks. You don't stay at the manger all day with angels singing. You finally got home, don't you? And when you get back home, it's kind of messy, isn't it? And you you go back home to the mess. But somehow the mess will never be the same again because of what happened at the manger. That the Messiah brings hope to our messes. All the messianic hopes, messianic hopes of God's people for hundreds and thousands of years are realized in Jesus that night. And and whatever mess that you're in, whatever, uh, Melanie used to say, we put the fun in dysfunctional. Whatever dysfunction there is in your family, there is in your family, Jesus has come to that. My daughter Christiana texted us the other day that she's working with they were doing a Walmart gives back and they were remodeling a homeless shelter and she said there was a lady there and kid and the diaper had been it had, had turned black. It was so it just it was laying on the floor and it turned black. Nothing had ever been done with it. So Christiana said, I picked up the diaper and a bug crawled out of it. And she said, I Googled it and it was a bed bug. And she and she said to the mother, she said, Have you noticed any have you noticed any uh scratch oh she said, Oh yeah, my kid's got sores all over his arm from, from the bed bugs that, that 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 were on his arm. And we knew about that because we had an infestation of it ourselves one time and it was it was a mess. 
It was so messy that that John the Baptist finally said this about Jesus. Are you the one that should come or should we look for someone else? Because this is not how we had imagined. This is not the current picture that we had sort of imagined that you would be. We didn't think that things would be so messy. I had a friend that wrote a little devotional about that scripture and he wrote this. Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another We have our plans, our strategy, our agenda, our timetable. And just when we need God to show up, mighty, powerful, stoked with vengeance, filled with sound and fury, righteously cowering, intimidating our enemies, driving them forever into the ground, administering justice they had coming for a long, long time. And when we are sure God is about to make us great again, summoning some Eden that we dreamt, finally delivering on all We feel entitled, everything we were cheated out of, everything everyone else got that we never did, just when we move to the edge of our seats, shoving our way to the front of the line, hands grasping not to be denied, determined this time we will not miss out. We have waited as long as we're going to wait, and we won't get fooled again. And just when confident this was our moment, God had other ideas, other ways quietly abiding in the world, moving mysteriously, almost silently, fragile, scandalous, pushed to the edge, outside the boundary, the backside of nowhere. Then further than that, yet close, haunting, far too close for comfort, helpless, homeless, shockingly vulnerable, wrapped in swaddling, distressing lowliness, residing with the hungry, the sick, the poor, the prisoner, Are you the one who is to come? How could that be? Hardly what we anticipated. Not that we believe we deserve. There must be some mistake. We will keep looking for another and then another. Keep listening till we hear what we want. Then listening some more and some more. And God waits. Worship team, if you'd come. God waits abandoned, exiled, ignored, crucified on some lonely hill, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, have mercy.